0: started last week with a, uh, a series of messages on, on the church. Um, the rationale for that is, is that we are um, transitioning from one pastor to another pastor, and during this interim period, uh, we want to take a look at uh, what, what the church meant to God and uh, how God is using the church. And what that specifically means to Community Baptist Church. Uh, Last Sunday we uh, came from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus asked Peter who do people say that I am? And Peter answered you are the Messiah the Son of the Living God. And Jesus was pleased with that response and said that he is building the church. Not only is Christ the one who builds the church, but he's building on on the foundation that uh, Peter confessed, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. That is our message, that is our hope, that is our uh, where our forgiveness and sense of uh, uh, relationship with God comes from because of what he did on the cross. And in so building the church, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building the church. When we look at the church, we realize that from what he said and what we looked at last week, that the church is universal in terms of who the members of it are. Everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior is a member of God's church. We don't know who all of them are. We also mentioned that being a member of a church doesn't necessarily mean that you're part of God's kingdom. You must have received Jesus Christ to be a part. And that's the requirement for membership in this church. God is building it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this morning, I want us to consider some of the marks of uh, a healthy church. What does a healthy church last really look like? Last week, if you recall, we, we had a or uh, uh, more lengthy time of sharing uh, than we did this morning. And we mentioned that a sharing church is a healthy church. A praying church is a healthy church. But this morning, I, I want us to consider what some of the marks are of a healthy church. It's interesting, I I tried to, to look some of this up online, uh, what various people have said. I found a website that uh, is called Mark 9, uh, or 9 Marks, rather, uh, 9 Marks of a Healthy Church. It seems from the Veterans Administration, I was invited by... Uh, the regional minister of the American Baptist Churches of uh, the Pacific Southwest to attend some church growth seminars and to uh, learn a little bit about church planting, um, something that I never felt called to, to do, uh, but he invited for me to attend those seminars anyway, and I learned a lot about what people think that healthy church looks like, and uh, some of the Nine marks that are on this website were included in that. And I can go back to my days in seminary, uh, which is back there, uh, always, uh, that we discussed the same things. There was a group of denominational leaders that gathered not too long ago to determine what uh, the marks of a healthy church were, um, and they wanted to identify healthy, great Commission churches. How were they identified? Well, they, they, they said that a healthy church uh, were communities of Christ-centered uh, people, but five balanced passions, winning the lost, building the believer, equipping the worker, multiplying the leader, and sending the ones that are called out. That's great, and I think that is a mark of a healthy church, those five things. I firmly believe that, but unfortunately, the way they evaluated healthy churches was by the numbers of people that were involved in these things, rather than the actual involvement in these things themselves. They they it was reduced to uh, statistics, and um, some of the churches that had all of these marks necessarily uh, didn't fit a Great Commission Church uh, by their standards because their numbers didn't meet up to their expectations. Uh, a while back, as I began um, preaching here, we talked about uh, what the second chapter of Acts said the marks of a healthy church were, that uh, the apostles, uh, the people uh, that were apostles teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of, of bread and to prayer. As I continue to look through The internet for various people who were talking about the marks of a healthy church. I found one that had seven, another one that had nine, one that had 12, one that had 14, one that had four, another one that had closer to 15 or 16. I finally came upon one that had uh, actually uh, 24 marks of a healthy church. I wonder if we can keep up with all 24. Unfortunately, as I read through it, a lot of it sounded good, but it sounded like they had done the same thing that the person who wrote Seven Habits of a Highly Successful Person did. They they studied what they believed was success and said, okay, here we've studied many, many, many churches who believe they are successful, and we've come up with 24 Habits of a Highly Successful Church. as I read through each of those, it wasn't until you got to number 23 and number 24 where they mentioned that number 23, the gospel was preached and number 24, the scriptures were used. Shouldn't those be at the top? You would think. You can go all the way back to the Reformation and the discussion was similar back then. John Calvin said, There's only two marks of a healthy church. One is uh, the use of the word and the practice of the sacraments. Martin Luther argued with him and said, No, there's seven. We've got to have the word, we've got to experience baptism, we've got to celebrate communion, we've got to see that people get ordained that we're using those keys that uh, were talked about in Matthew 16 uh, when we read that last week, prayer, public praise, and then mention of the cross. However you look at it, we need to come up with an understanding of what God says a healthy church is, not what the computer tells us on the Internet, not what has been studied in the church growth movement, but rather what the Scriptures say. As Paul writes to the various churches, uh, he has written to several that had some issues that needed to be fixed. If you recall the book of Galatians, uh, Paul wrote and said that uh, you are the actual truth of the gospel. Um, he wrote about other issues within several of the churches. And we find that Ephesus, which was a church that was uh, based on on a love of Jesus Christ that John writes years later and says, and complains to them in a letter that says, you guys have lost your first love. And so we understand that there were some marks of some health, unhealthy churches from the various letters that were written um, to the churches by, by John and the seven churches that John, or, excuse me, by Paul and then the seven churches that John wrote to in and, and the book of Revelation. But as we get back to what does the Word say are the marks of a healthy church. I chose the passage 1 Thessalonians because as I was reading, it just jumped out at me when I read this passage that this was a healthy church. And Paul is letting them know that they are a healthy church. And so as we look at what Scripture says, and how Paul thought of a healthy church. Let's, let's think about and ponder what he said. As he wrote to them, he says, we always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. Remember, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. We should think about these three things, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. We do what we do, and we believe that we do what we're called to do because it is an experience of faith. It is a work of faith. Whatever it is we have been called by God to do, it is a step of faith. If you are worshiping here with Community Baptist Church, you are here because this is a work of faith, and God has called you here to be part of us. It says in Hebrews chapter eleven, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and the assurance about the things that we do not see. By faith, we understand that the world was formed at God's command, so that. What is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith is the conviction that what we don't see, He has made it clear to us. Throughout the rest of the chapter, the writer talks about the faith of Noah, the faith of Abraham, faith of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Gideon, David, Samuel, people of faith who were called to do what they were called to do as an act of faith. They followed God. Some of them, it was a one-time event. Some of them, it was a lifetime event. For some of them, it was something that happened in their older age that God had called them to. For some, they were called much younger, like David. But it was a work produced by faith. Whatever we are doing for the Lord as a church, it must be something that we are called to by faith. Secondly, he mentions labor prompted by love. Now, I can work hard. I can work hard for a long time. I've been trained to do that ethically i believe that good work and good hard work is is something to be proud of but is my labor is your labor prompted by love we can do a lot of things but if we don't love the people that we are serving we're just working we're just working But it's a labor prompted by love. It's a prompted by God's love first in what He did in His Son, Jesus Christ. Then He's called us to love first and to love others. And the work that we do must be prompted by love or it does nothing except gives us a good sense that we've done some good hard work. I think when the Roscoe's came to Woody Island, 125 some years ago, that theirs was a work that was prompted by love. They were called to the work by faith, but what they put into it was a labor of love because they saw the needs of children without parents and began an orphanage over on Woody Island, which essentially, eventually became Kodiak Baptist Mission. But they loved them. I think when the Smiths were involved, with Eusenki and and the continuing of that ministry much later on is a work that was prompted by love. What we do must be out of love for the people that we serve. And thirdly, it was endurance inspired by hope. Endurance. Why do we endure? We endure because we have hope. I think that's part of the message of the cross is is that we have hope. If I know that there might be an end to something, I can endure a long time. There's an end that is coming that is created by Jesus Christ. The rest of the book of Thessalonians and the second Jesus Christ and that Paul acknowledged that to the Thessalonians that that hope existed in them that they were hoping in Jesus Christ. And because we have hope, we can endure. And let me read to you something from the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Right after the writer talks about faith, he talks about endurance. And hope; Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, and the sin that so easily us, tangles us, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a focus for our hope. And because of that focus and the fact that Jesus was able to endure the cross, we can endure whatever comes before us because of the hope that lies within us. These were the marks of that early church: work produced by faith, labor prompted of love, by love and endurance inspired by hope. But Paul doesn't stop there. Let me go back a minute, a moment. Notice the triad: faith. To his first letter to the church at Corinth, they were having a problem with. Uh, who was better than others, who had the talents and the gifts that were needed, and who had the best ones, and and the focus was all out of whack because the focus was on themselves rather than the focus on Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them and says, get it right. And he writes that passage in the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15 chapters of First Corinthians about proper utilization of what God has given to glorify God. And he sits in this chapter, chapter 13, about loving. And he says, the final verse in that chapter, he says, And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. These are the same words Paul uses as the marks of a church, healthy church: faith, hope, and love. Scripture ties it together pretty well, I think, when you look at it from a broad perspective. But look how this church in Thessalonians received the gospel. Verse four: We. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What was going on inside that church as they received the gospel of Jesus Christ? What needs to go on in any church as they receive and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? They They received the gospel. Because they knew they were loved by God. Folks, we are loved by God. And that's why He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. We were loved by God. And it came with the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back to the second chapter of Acts as we talked before. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church that was gathered, came with power. And the result within them was as they followed that with deep conviction, it says. Not simply with words, but with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Sometimes we get this out of whack. We think that we need to have deep conviction first. There's a lot of people going around with deep convictions about what they're doing, thinking that they're just doing a great work. But that great work has lost the love that comes from God. And that great work has lost the power of the Holy Spirit because the pride that says, I'm doing something out of great conviction says, I'm doing it the right way. We need to put the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit back into it. When I was a military chaplain, one of the things that we were tasked to do as chaplains was to interview conscientious objectors within the military. If somebody decided that they, after joining the military, that they were a conscientious objector, the chaplain had to interview them to determine the sincerity of their conviction by the sincerity of their conviction, by the identity of their religious belief, or by how they practice something, but only by the sincerity of the conviction that they held. And we can do a lot of things out of sincerity and out of the convictions that we hold. The church in Thessalonica was doing it because of the love of God and with the power of the Holy Spirit, which created the deep conviction that was within them. And that must be the center of the conviction of what we come to Jesus Christ with and to do the work that He wants us to do. As you read further, starting with chapter 5, Paul writes to them and says, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What was happening to their spiritual life inside of this church at Thessalonica? They became models of the faith. They learn from Paul and Silas and Timothy. Christian. And Paul says, that didn't begin with us. That became because of the model that Jesus Christ gave. And so essentially they were modeling what Jesus Christ was doing. And they welcomed the message with joy, even in spite of the suffering that they had to endure. Because we know that Paul had to leave Thessalonica because of persecution. He was going to be stoned. And the church was enduring persecution, but they continued to welcome the message with joy in spite of the suffering. And that was a model. And that was what was going on for them. Their faith had become known everywhere. You know, Macedonia and Achaia are the two principal areas of Greece, both modern-day Greece and former-day Greece. And their faith was so well known that it spoke for itself. Can you imagine modeling that kind of faith in Community Baptist Church so that everybody knows that we're the beacon on the hill? This modeling Christian faith? That can happen with us. It has, it is, and it will continue. There was an internal change that was going on. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. They had based their lives on a lie, and they realized the truth. And now there was something going on inside of them that said, turn from your idols and come to serve living. rang out loud and clear. I was listening to the church bells this morning when I was down here earlier uh, this morning, the church bells from the Orthodox Church. They're pretty loud. Um, and they start at about quarter to nine, and they ring one, and then another, and then another, all the way up till nine o'clock. And then at nine, right at the top of the hour, it starts ringing out loud with all kinds of different bells going on. And it must have lasted for a minute, maybe two minutes. I could tell that whoever the bell ringer was was getting tired because the tempo slowed down quite a bit between the time that it started and a minute later. But nevertheless, it rang out loud and clear. And the message that this church had to share rang out loud and clear throughout the area. I don't know what the message of the bells mean, but it tells us in this passage what the message was. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he has rescued us from his coming wrath. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ came as Messiah, the Son of the living God. And upon that foundation, He is building His church, and the gates of hell cannot come up against it. And He tells us that if we will accomplish a work that is produced by our faith, a labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope, That we too will be the models and proclaim the message, and it will ring out loud and clear that Jesus is risen from the dead. He endured the cross, but the power comes in his resurrection from the dead. And his purpose in doing that is to rescue us from the judgment. That is coming. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Several have written about one of the marks of the Holy Church is in celebrating communion. For some, it's a ritual. For something, just something you do. I was in my daughter's church while I was home a couple of weeks ago. They don't do communion collectively in their church. They set it in the back. If you feel like you need communion, you can grab it on the way out. It's a healthy church, but even the reformers said we needed to practice communion. Communion is us remembering the gospel. It is us remembering that Jesus broke His body and shed His blood in payment for our sins. And that we come together and we acknowledge that by remembering His death and remembering His resurrection and His payment for our sins. So when we come to communion we are actually celebrating. It's not a ritual. It's not something that you grab on your way out. It's something that we participate in as a celebration and a remembrance of the person, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that those who are serving communion would come forward, and I invite you to share